Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This week's presenting sponsor is Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and it's one of the hidden gems of this area. If you're interested in local history, from the ranchers and pioneers who settled this area to the American Indians who lived here long before that, you can learn so much from the artifacts and collections at PPHM. Learn more at panhandleplains.org. Today's guest is Ruby Moreno. Ruby is the executive director of the Amarillo Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. It's a position she landed in January of 2017 after interning there during her final semesters at West Texas A&M. That's interesting enough. The intern to director job progression is pretty rare. But there's a lot more to Ruby's story. She's a first-generation college student who was born in Mexico and immigrated to the U.S. with her family when she was very young. So we talk about her family's history, her own career, and the rich heritage of Amarillo's Hispanic culture and businesses. So here's Ruby Moreno. Ruby Moreno, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm anxious to talk to you about, I know, a lot of the different things that you're involved with professionally. But before we get to that point, I want to take more of a a personal route and just ask how you ended up in this area in the first place. Yeah, well, I'm originally from Chihuahua, Mexico. So my parents moved to Elkhart, Kansas when I was about four years old. And then um, I spent my childhood in Elkhart, Kansas, and then we decided to move to Big Piney, Wyoming. All right. Crazy. I That's know. not anywhere close. So. <laughs> People ask, how did you end up in Wyoming? Well, uh, my dad got a job in the oil field in Wyoming, so he took our whole family up there, and that's where I graduated from high school, okay. from Big Piney High School. And then uh, he got into cattle, so he decided to move back to Elkhart, Kansas. And um, it was around my senior year of high school, and my friends were like, well, we're, we're moving back to Kansas. So I was like, I can't. I was like, I, there's so many opportunities um, to graduate from high school from Wyoming, especially my senior year. I didn't want to start all over at a new school, mm-hmm. even though um, I did grow up with most of, most of those um, students from Elkhart, Kansas. I just didn't want to start all over. So they decided to um, let me finish my senior year of high school. And I lived with my sister for that year, and they decided to move back because my dad wanted to get started on cattle. Okay. So I graduated high school there, and then I really wanted to go to college. And they were like, well, that's not in the game plan here. Yeah. Um, I come from a very old-fashioned Hispanic family, and college is great, and they wanted me to succeed, but they're like, I don't just we just don't think we can afford college right. at the moment. So... I started looking into scholarships and applied to a few of them, and then I, upon graduation, I got offered a scholarship for $2,000 a semester for four years. Okay. So I was like, wow, this is my chance right here to go to college. So um, at that point, my parents are like, well, great, then you can do a short-term career. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, so I was like, cosmetology, that's a year, so right. I'll do that. And then um, I applied to a cosmetology school in Liberal, Kansas, because that was the closest one to my family. And I missed the deadline. So I was not accepted. Wow. Yeah. And I 
I told my parents, well, I would like to still do something. In the meantime, can I do business for two years, get my associates, and then uh, I'll apply to cosmetology school, and then I will open my own salon. That was my thinking. Because that scholarship was like open to whatever you wanted to do, right? So you could apply it anywhere. Yes. Okay. So my parents were like, okay, yeah, I think you could do two years of college. Uh, We'll give you the difference of whatever you need on and tuition. So I started doing business at Seward County Community College and I just fell in love with business. I, okay. like, I don't see myself doing cosmetology. I don't see myself doing hair, nails. Um, I love it. I just fell in love with business and I wanted to continue, continue that education. And after I graduated with my associate's degree, I asked my parents, can I continue my education? They're like, well, and you're going to transfer to university. We don't know if we can afford that. So I told them I will start looking into scholarships again, and I still have that scholarship from Wyoming. And I applied to West Texas A&M University. I got accepted, got a few more scholarships, and that is how I ended in Canyon. I lived there for two years, and then after I graduated from West Texas A&M University, I moved to Amarillo. Okay. When did you graduate from WT then? I graduated December 2016. Okay. So there's a number of things from your your upbringing that I want to to dig into before Mm -hmm. we get like back to the present day, I guess. Tell me what initially brought your family from Mexico to Elkhart, Kansas? Like, what was the initial draw there? Well, we had a lot of family in Elkhart, Kansas, and I think that's why my dad decided to move there, because his brothers were there. And I think just the opportunities. There was greater opportunities um, to raise a family there. And it's a small town, Mm -hmm. so I think that was what drove my dad to take us there. I know you had family in Elkhart. Was was it a place that, and, and you were four years old, so who knows mm-hmm. you know how you received it, but was it a place that you felt like your family could go and, and sort of build a new life in a new place? Was it difficult? I mean, were there challenges? What, what do you remember about that? Or what have your parents told you? Yeah, well, I think it was definitely challenging, especially, I mean, I was a little girl and then I started school in an English speaking country, you know, you probably didn't have any English at all. No, no English at all. So I went to school, I started learning English. So it was, it was hard, very hard. Did your parents speak English? No. Okay. Mm -hmm. And to this day, they understand it and they can speak a little bit. But it's very hard for them. Did your dad have work lined up already, or did he just know that there was opportunity there? He didn't have work lined up already. He just knew there was opportunity okay, there. What, what can you tell me about, like, maybe just stories you've heard from your parents, but about where you grew up, you know, coming from uh, from Mexico? What was it like that, you know, drove him to seek new opportunities someplace else? Yeah, well, they the closest big town that they lived by was maybe 30, 40 minutes. And they lived in a ranch where there was a, only a couple houses there. So any work, you had to drive at least 30 to 40 minutes to okay. get to other than cattle or just um, having a stay-at-home wife. So he just knew that there wasn't many opportunities for us there, especially, I mean, as young kids. And um, it's getting to be a pretty dangerous in Chihuahua where right. um, where my parents were from. So they wanted to come to a safe place. Okay. So I, I know a lot of people might be curious about that just because immigration has been, you know, a, a hot topic that people have been talking about in the last few years. 
Uh, so what do you know about that process, about your parents making the decision to move to Kansas, you know, from Mexico? Do you have any idea, like, what they had to do or how they applied, you know, for work permits or visas? Mm-hmm. I mean, do, do you know much about that? I don't, but I just know we came here legally and the we, we did everything the correct okay. way. Okay. So they, they knew somehow how to do it and, and got that done right. So you yeah. didn't have to deal with any DACA stuff mm-hmm. or concerns or any of that. And I was young at that time, so I don't really know the process of how my parents came and what uh, really struck the uh, thought of coming to the United States. But I think it helped that my parents had family over here already. Mm-hmm. So I think that gave them some direction. Do you remember much beyond having to learn English as a a four-year-old, a five-year-old. Do you remember much about just, you know, fitting in at school or making new friends in a new place while you're still learning a language? I mean, were were those first couple of years difficult enough or or things that you remember? Yes, it was very hard from what I remember. And my cousin was the same age as me, so he was already um, in school. So he was a big help because he was here longer than I am, so he already knew a little bit of English. And um, I would always just go under his wing, and he would take me and tell me and teach me a couple words. And then I think just, yeah, I just caught on after a while, you know, it's learning how to speak English at school and then having to go home and speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. That was the hardest thing that I can remember to this day, because just going back home to my parents' house, my dad just wants us to speak Spanish. And he's like, you're at my house, you speak Spanish. And it's like, dad, there's some words at this to this day. I'm like, how do you say that in Spanish? Because I mean, I know it in English, but it's just hard to translate it because sometimes there's no direct translation. Right. One question I, I always like to ask bilingual individuals is, what language do you think in? Like, like what are your thoughts when they first come to mind? Are they in English or are they in Spanish? And like, you're unique in that you learned both pretty early, but mm-hmm. I assume you had that Spanish default at the beginning. So. Do you know? Spanglish. <laughs> really? So is it kind of a mix? Of- yes, because uh, sometimes I catch myself starting a sentence in Spanish and then finishing it in English. Hmm. And it's, I think it's really hard. To, I mean, when I'm having a conversation with someone in English, the, the uh, just a word comes up in Spanish, and I'm like, okay, translating it in my right. head right before it comes out in Spanish, and the, they look at me like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> Well, if if you need to do that translation in the, <laughs> during the podcast, we can handle that. Um, so, tell me a little bit, having grown up in Elkhart and then in in Wyoming, um, mm-hmm. and then now having experience here in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. Tell me some of the differences between you know where you live now and where you grew up. Is are they are they significant? They are Kansas. It was a very small town. There was a few Hispanics, but. Um, when I moved to Wyoming, that was completely different. I think I was one of three other Hispanics in our class, in the whole okay. school. Wow. So that was very, very different um, to the point where sometimes we couldn't speak Spanish to our other, to our peers. So it it, it was hard because being Hispanic, you want to talk both English and Spanish mm-hmm. if the other person understands both languages. So... That was a drastic change. And then moving to Amarillo, I think it's a mixture of both. It makes me feel at home because we have 
a fast-growing Hispanic population right. here. So it's a lot of people from Chihuahua in the places where uh, my parents grew up in Mexico. So I can relate to them a lot. So you arrived in Amarillo, and in Amarillo there is a much more robust Hispanic community. Mm-hmm. But it's diverse, and mm-hmm. so you may have people still who are first-generation mm-hmm. um, immigrants from, could be Mexico, could be Latin America, mm-hmm. um, could be South America. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a Hispanic community that is third-generation, you know, that mm-hmm. has their parents and their grandparents have lived in Amarillo mm-hmm. for decades. I, I know that we always get in trouble by saying, well, the Hispanic culture is like this. Mm-hmm. That's It's not a monolithic culture. You mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of different a lot of different varieties of Spanish speaker mm-hmm. in Amarillo. So what can you tell me like about the the community that you did find here? Yeah, well, there is a mixture of first generation and third generation. And um, that's how I feel like I do great at my job because I can relate to the old-fashioned Hispanics because that's just always how my family has been. But then at the same time, I'm still young, so I've grown up and um, gone to school here and college, so I can relate to that third generation because I have had a lot of friends that are Hispanic, but they don't know Spanish. Um, Maybe their grandparents were from Mexico. So that's where I think that you start losing the culture, but you still, I mean, you still go back to I'm Hispanic and... um, but I don't know exactly what was done in Mexico or what happened in Mexico right. and what my parents had to go through. Do you think it makes sense to identify, like, let's say, a, a group of people, like um, people who are Hispanic, based on the language that they speak, when growing up in northern Mexico mm-hmm. might be very different from growing up in El Salvador mm-hmm. or growing up in Argentina. I mean, yeah. the one thing in common is a language, but that doesn't mean they're all the same people. No, and it's very different. The culture is different. And if you notice someone from like Argentina and Mexico, it's a different kind of Spanish. So mm-hmm. even though it is Spanish, they have different words that, I mean, even People from Mexico, they're from Chihuahua, or other people are from Zacatecas. It's right. still, there's different words, and it, it's, I mean, at the same time, you, you know what it means, but it's a word that you've probably never heard. Tell me what you've learned. You know, you're, you're still, um, you know, someone who is, is very young and is, is working with, um, you know, the business community, but, but what have you learned about that Hispanic community in Amarillo, you know, and as it has developed and grown and, and sort of flourished over the past few decades, I mean, can you say this is this is what it's like? This is how it's different from maybe Hispanic populations in Dallas or in Austin or someplace. Amarillo is a small town at the same time, very community driven. Mm-hmm. So I do believe there's a difference from Amarillo to Dallas. So when something happens, the Hispanic community is very tight and um, they'll do anything to help out. So in Dallas, I feel like that would be harder. I've never lived in Dallas, but I think um, not everybody knows each other. Mm-hmm. So when something is that something does happen, I don't think they'd come together as Amarillo does. And I think that's one thing with the Hispanic community. You get to know people. You get to know them on a personal level. So whenever things do come up, they, they'll be the first ones to be there. Okay. So we sort of got to the present day when you were explaining how you got here, and then we jumped way back. Um, so I, I feel like we should like go back to where you uh, you graduated from WT. Um, yes. 
you were here in, in Canyon and in Amarillo. So then, like, what happened for you career-wise? Yeah, well, while I was attending WT, I was an intern at the Hispanic Chamber. Okay. I was a management intern, and that was a, that opportunity came up because I was trying to help out my parents with scholarships. So this was a paid internship. It was scholarship-based. And I looked into it, and I got the management intern role. So I was an intern for a year and a half, and that was getting really close to graduation. So December of 2016, I had a job offer in uh, the Walmart headquarters in Arkansas. Okay. So I I was going to take the role at the Walmart headquarters until an opportunity came up at the chamber. I got a call from one of the board members, and the executive director had just quit, and they were offering me the role of the executive director at the Emerald Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. And that caught me by surprise because that was not in my picture that I had painted for myself because I was ready to take that job at the Walmart headquarters. Well, and, and I mean, transition from an intern <laughs> to the director is not like a very common transition. Yes. So, so either you must have been really, really impressive <laughs> at, at your job as an intern. Well, um, when I got that call, they wanted to meet with me, and I was like, sure, I mean, I'll meet with you guys, but my mind was kind of set already. And after I met with a few board members, um, I really just took a step back and thought about it. What is my long-term goal? Or do I see myself at a small town, big city? So I really just took a few weeks to think about it. And I think I made the right decision and stayed here because uh, being an intern at the Hispanic Chamber just really got me involved in the community. Mm -hmm. And that was not the thinking I had when I was in college. I wasn't thinking community. I didn't know the importance of giving back, of being involved and volunteering. And I think being at the Hispanic Chamber really opened my eyes. Okay. So with that in mind, I'd like to I'd like to talk some about the role that the Hispanic Chamber plays, um, because I think a lot of people, if, especially if they're in business, they may understand, you know, why the Amarillo Chamber of Commerce exists. Mm -hmm. But like, why is it specifically important to have one that's dedicated to those, uh, to the Hispanic community or to Hispanic business owners or to come, you know, companies that are serving that population? Why is why is that so important? Our mission is um, providing networking and resources and uh, focusing on active education here in the community. So I think there's a different vision and mission for the Hispanic Chamber. It's more of relating to those small businesses, those uh, small business owners that really can't get out of their business to go network, okay. to um, go look for those resources. And sometimes they don't feel welcome or they feel intimidated and don't want to ask these questions or don't think there are resources out there. So I think at the Hispanic Chamber, we open those doors to um, welcome those Hispanic owners and tell them that there is a lot of opportunities out there. There's um, ways to grow their business. I, I know there's a strong tradition of entrepreneurship within the Hispanic community. Mm -hmm. um, but for some of those, you know, mom and pop small businesses that have opened in the last 20 or 30 years, you know, maybe by second generation or mm -hmm. even first generation immigrants, is there still sort of that feeling that they're, they're not as legit as, you know, like a, a big bank or a big mm -hmm. business, you know, that, that there is sort of a disconnect between what they're doing and maybe what the rest of the city is doing. You, you talked about that intimidation. Is mm -hmm. that kind of what that intimidation might be? Yes, I believe um, a lot of Hispanics 
have the drive and they are hardworking um, individuals, but sometimes those relationships are so important and they don't have those relationships. So like relationships, it, like a, a bank relationship mm-hmm. or a relationship, maybe legal advice or some of the things that maybe just seem real common mm-hmm. to someone who's grown up around entrepreneurship. But if you're a first generation, or if you don't speak the language, you may not have those connections. Exactly. So I think it's so important to build those relationships. So when a problem does arise, or you just need advice, you have someone to go to. Okay. And I know that, you know, the Hispanic Chamber isn't competing with the Amarillo Chamber of Commerce, you know, Mm -hmm. you're not like carving out your different spheres. And and there are a lot of businesses that are members of both. But tell me about some of some of the businesses that you know, play an important role um, Mm. for the Hispanic Chamber? We have a lot of corporate businesses that have been with us from the start. And for example, La Fiesta Grande. La Fiesta Grande has been with the Chamber since they opened their doors. So that has been 33 years ago. One of the first big um, Mexican food restaurants in Amarillo. Yeah, and it's still to this day, Roy Barra and Betty Barra are still great supporters and they volunteer and they help out with our events. Okay, and and you have, um, I'm sure, other organizations um, that are the same big organizations that are involved with, you know, everything else in Amarillo, from banks to hospitals and stuff like that. Yeah, some of our greatest supporters are like Happy State Bank, Amarillo National Bank, all First Bank Southwest, right. the, the local banks. I think that know and the importance of giving back to the community and keeping everything local. Tell me some of the ways that the Hispanic Chamber works to to provide that networking and support that you know the the different businesses might need. I mean, there, is it is it events? Is it like ongoing mentorship? I mean, what happens there? We have different events throughout the year, and we have monthly events. One is Cafe con nosotros. This event is mainly focused on informing the community and providing networking opportunities as well. And this one it takes place at nine a.m., so it is during the day. And it's harder for uh, if you're running a business to get out and attend if you're um, the person that needs to be operating the business. But this is a great way to get to know people. And it's only from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. So it's not very long. And we really encourage people because it's different things that are going on in Amarillo. So one year we had Mayor Ginger Nelson come tell us what's happening in Amarillo. Another time we've had an attorney come talk about immigration. So just, I think a lot of people focus on listening just to the news and they base all their information from the news. So having an attorney come talk to Mm -hmm. a group and it's free of charge, it's, I mean, a great opportunity and a great resource. Is this an exciting time for for the business community that, that you've seen? I mean, do you feel like we, we talk about how Amarillo is, is sort of on a tipping point for growth. Um, but when we talk about that, often it's in terms of like big business, you know, that, that we might get, um, you know, the big vet school or, or something that's like at a large corporate level. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about it at a smaller, you know, family owned business level, mm-hmm. is it the same type of opportunity do you see? I believe so. I think if it's a small owned business and it's local, I think it all comes down to customer service Mm -hmm. and uh, the experience you provide. So if you make yourself different and provide that great customer service, you're just going to have people coming back. And in the Hispanic community, I feel like once you build that trust and that relationship with someone, they're just going to keep going back and back and they're going to 
tell their uncle, their aunt, their cousin, mm-hmm. and you, soon you're going to have their whole family there. What can you tell me about the way that either that business community or the, the Hispanic community at large, I mean, has has sort of created the character of Amarillo, you know, who we are, how we present ourselves to the world, the opportunities here, whatever, however you want to look at that. But, you know, with a third of the population in Amarillo, you know, being Spanish speaking, how big of a role does it play in this area? How much of our agriculture, you know, is dependent on the workforce or the the expertise, you know, that that comes from I mean, people like your dad, who who mm-hmm. probably had all this experience, you know, whether he's working in Mexico or working in Kansas, you mm-hmm. know, that it's able to um, to bring that, you know, to a community or to an industry. Amarillo is considered very diverse, so I think the Hispanic community plays a big role in that because it di- brings in a different perspective, a different perspective. I mean, by providing different experiences here in Amarillo. Like mm-hmm. when you go to a Mexican restaurant to where you go to um, an American restaurant, it's very different. So I think in the Hispanic population in Amarillo, the Hispanic community is a great part of the growth that Amarillo has seen lately because a lot of Hispanics are moving to Amarillo because they see the opportunities there is here and how accepting our town is of that. Okay, so yeah, it's it's a place that is seen by many as, as a, a destination, like mm-hmm. a place where you can find work or you can mm-hmm. find opportunity to open a business. Exactly. Like, is there something that the city needs to do better to continue to attract you know, people who might move to Amarillo for that opportunity. I mean, is it is it easy to just come here and find a house and start working, or is it something that, that we need to do better? I think we do a good job because nowadays, like you said, if you're looking for a home, we have a lot of realtors that are bilingual. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of mortgage lenders that are bilingual, so they make that process um, a little easier for them to um, – find a home here and to ask for what are the things to do where where do you see that Amarillo is growing super fast and opportunity you've sort of ended up in Amarillo with a, a fairly high profile job and you're still very young but like you didn't grow up here at all so does does what you're doing now does it seem like a natural sort of career progression or does it still feel weird that this is where you've kind of landed and and planted roots I think everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. So I believe I was supposed to be in this role because uh, seeing my parents and um, how they raised us, I know there was a lot of difficulties. So now that I'm in my role, I get to relate to those Hispanic people in Amarillo. They've gone through many struggles. So I know what it takes to get to a high profile job mm-hmm. or to a high role in a company. And there's a lot of hardworking individuals here in Amarillo. I mean, you're, I assume you're like the first um, generation in your family to go to college, to graduate from college? Yes, with a four-year degree. Okay, with a four-year degree. I mean, do do you feel like a role model in that regard, whether it's for your family or for other young men and women um, who maybe, you know, want to go to college, but like that's not what their family did? I mean, just like it was for you. You didn't have that real understanding or experience. I mean, Mm -hmm. do you feel like you can sort of help younger people kind of take that path as well? 
I do. And I also have a little sister. Okay. And she is now going to college. She graduates in May and she has, um, we have high hopes for her now because I think I've set the bar high for our family. Right. And like um, she needs to get an internship and then end up running <laughs> that, that company, right? Right. That's the path you've laid out for her. Yeah. And, um, there's a lot of Hispanics that think, oh, that's not in the picture just because, um, that's, we don't have the money for it. But if you really think about it, there are so many opportunities and if you look for them, you'll find them. Well, even in places like Amarillo with um, the Thrive program at Amarillo mm-hmm. College, like college is not off the table, yeah. especially even for families that can't afford it. That opportunity is there. It, they just have to decide, I'm, I'm going to do this. Yeah. What do you see it, as you look to the future, maybe the next five years or 10 years in Amarillo? Um, where do you see us going? I mean, where do you see the business community going? I think Amarillo is full of entrepreneurs, and we're going to see a major increase in new businesses here in Amarillo. And then that's just going to attract more people to move here. I think when, um, especially college students, when they graduate, their mentality is, oh, I want to move to Dallas, or right. I want to move to Houston, or I want to move to Austin. And I think we're going to finally get to that point where we attract young professionals. Professionals. Okay. To not only stay here, but maybe come here from other places. Yes. This week's episode is sponsored by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, located in Canyon on the campus of West Texas A&M University. Now, I'm a huge fan of this museum. It's the largest history museum in Texas. One of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast is to create a record of life here in Amarillo and Canyon during this moment of time. And Panhandle Plains has been actively doing that since it started back in 1921. And what you may not know is that the museum itself is a nonprofit. The university helps with stuff like insurance and building maintenance, but it's primarily funded by membership and donations and visitor fees. So if it's been a while since you dropped in, go check it out. There's always something new to see among its 2 million artifacts, and the exhibits change all the time. And one of those changing exhibits is a new one that I'm excited about. It opens February 7th. It's called My Heart is Not Blind on Blindness and Perception. And it's the latest work by the photographer and documentarian Michael Nye. Now, this is a traveling exhibit, and it features photographs and audio recordings of people with visual impairment. These are people that Nye interviewed over several years to understand the nature of blindness and human resilience. Now, this exhibit will bring light into the dark misconceptions about blindness, and museum visitors will leave knowing that there are many different ways of seeing. It sounds super interesting. So this is a limited exhibit. It's only open until May, so go check it out in the museum's Harrington Gallery. You can learn more about My Heart is Not Blind at panhandleplains.org. Okay, we're back with Ruby Moreno of the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Ruby, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in as much detail as you want. Uh, The first one, and I don't know if you can answer this because a lot of restaurants are probably, you know, members of the chamber, but what's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? So my favorite Mexican restaurant in Amarillo is El Tejaban on I-40. I love their homemade tortillas, and it just reminds me a lot of my mom's cooking. But I also love barbecue, Mm -hmm. so I love Tyler's Barbecue. Okay. 
the uh, the El Tehavan is is that like it, it's known at least to my understanding as being a place where you can find pretty authentic Mexican food. So like your mom or dad would go there and they would feel like they're doing it right. Yes, actually, just a couple of weeks ago, I took my parents there for the first time. I was like, how come you never brought us here before? And I just didn't think they would want to go to a Mexican restaurant because my mom cooks Mexican food right. at home all the time. So. But my my mom loved it. Okay, so if it gets their stamp of approval, then you can you can assume that they're doing it well. Yes. Okay. <laughs> what does this area have too much of? Construction. All right. <laughs> I think there's a lot of started projects that aren't finished. But I mean, I understand our city is growing, so we have to have the construction. So not just road construction, but maybe construction all over the place, whether it's development, housing developments, buildings, all that stuff. Yes. Usually construction is a sign of growth. Um, Mm -hmm. You just hope that it continues and doesn't stall out midway through. Yeah, they finish projects. (laughs) What does this area not have enough of? I just think there needs to be a place where you can go meet some people, where you can talk about your goals and how to help each other. Okay. And I, I know that there are a few, you know, maybe networking groups or events for young professionals like Elevate Amarillo or, or places like that. Are you thinking more of like a casual setting that's not like, here's a networking event, everybody come to this, but like just a place that the young professionals might find themselves drawn to? Yeah, more of a casual setting. But at the same time, um, I'm a part of Elevate Amarillo. I'm actually on the board. And I think that's a great opportunity for young individuals to go meet like-minded individuals and mm-hmm. um, to connect and grow themselves professionally and personally. So I think we need more organizations like that. Okay. So maybe more organizations that are doing something similar to that. Yes. Okay. What's the most underrated aspect of living here? The fact that it's very centrally located. Okay. The, you can drive to Denver, you can drive to Dallas, you can drive to Albuquerque, you can drive to Kansas, Oklahoma, and still make it there within a few hours. All right. So that makes it a, a good spot um, if you don't want to live in the mountains, but when you want to visit it, if you don't want to live in Dallas, but still want to visit there sometime. Yeah. And I love Colorado. I've always wanted to move there, but I came to Texas and now I'm in love with Texas too. Okay. So it's perfect that I could just drive five hours and be in Colorado and spend a weekend in the mountains. And like you mentioned, you can drive to Dallas and that's a whole different story, city and traffic. And it's great for a few days, but you can just come back home. Right. When you lived in Wyoming, was it the mountainous part of Wyoming? Yes. Okay. And it's beautiful. All right. So you were, you were in the, uh, I guess the Western side of the mm-hmm. state there. And it was a very small town, but, um, Jackson hole was right there in the oh, Yellowstone okay. national park. Right. We went there on so a trip. That's right in trip. the pretty part then. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Amarillo is different from that. Very. <laughs> when was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? March of 2018. <laughs> I had okay. so many plans to go last year. And every time I made a plan to go, it was really windy or it was cold, and I just never made it out there. Oh, okay, so um, you haven't been there in a couple of years, but it's something that is on your radar. Like, that's it's a thing that is an important part of this area that you like to experience. Definitely. I always tell people about it, and the zip line is great out there. Oh, yeah. And horseback riding and the lighthouse trail, of course. And um, I took my little sister up there, and she loved it. Cool. What's your favorite Amarillo neighborhood? I would have to say the Barrio neighborhood. Okay. 
there's so much history and I'm not from around here, but everything that I've gotten to learn and how people grew up there and the history there is, it's just, I'm just fascinated with it. Yeah, it's one of those neighborhoods, and, and I've learned uh, a lot about it recently uh, because of my involvement with uh, an art project related to it. But mm-hmm. yeah, the Barrio is one of those neighborhoods that for a lot of the community maybe is kind of forgotten or mm-hmm. that we don't know as much about its history. And then once you start digging into it, you're mm-hmm. just like, this this neighborhood has been instrumental in so many things that are part of who Amarillo is mm-hmm. um, that it's been fascinating for me to just learn uh, about the the families that live there and the families that were groundbreaking business owners and all those different things that happened. Yeah, and that new mural, the transition from oh, yeah. downtown to the barrio, that's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 a great addition to mm-hmm. the downtown area and to the the barrio area, sort yeah. of a gateway. Yeah. What's your favorite building in Amarillo? I wouldn't have to say the Santa Fe building. Okay. I actually repelled from that building. Oh, did you really? A couple years ago with Family Support Services. Yeah, one of those fundraising yeah. things. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. Had you repelled before? No, that was my first So time. going off the, yeah. that building the first time was your first experience repelling? Yes. Okay, that's a pretty dramatic <laughs> first repel. Yeah, um, yeah it's, uh, it, it's definitely one of the most unique buildings in mm-hmm. downtown Amarillo. Yeah, and it's very historic. And Amarillo, downtown Amarillo is starting to become so modern now mm-hmm. that when we have those kind of buildings, I think it just con- makes it a, a great connection. Yeah, adds to the character. Mm-hmm, definitely. Okay. What's your favorite local coffee shop? I love coffee, so that was tough. But I would have to say Palace Coffee. Okay. Is Which one's closest to you in terms of work? The one on 34th and Culture. Okay. I like going there, and they're a great supporter of the Hispanic Chamber. They're always donating to nonprofits, always helping out when needed. Okay. That concludes the eight straight questions. Ruby, I'd like to close by asking my guest to endorse something related to the area. So what's one thing that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? I would have to go back to the Elevate Amarillo. Okay. It's a new young professionals group. And it was just launched last year. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a great opportunity for young professionals that feel lost and that like to go to networking events. But if you go to Chamber of Commerce events, uh, it's a lot of the older generation. So it's hard to connect with people. And Elevate Amarillo is providing those opportunities to, like I had mentioned before, to grow yourself and to connect with other people that have the same process as you. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Ruby. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. And that concludes the show. First, I want to say thanks to Ruby for telling her story and her family's story. That's something she mentioned is is that she's done very little of telling that story in a public setting. So I I really do appreciate that. You can learn more about the Hispanic Chamber at AmarilloHCC.com. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing this episode, of course, and to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring the podcast. Hey Amarillo is made possible through sponsorships like those, as well as the support of my executive producers, Katie Linger, Neil Nossiman, Daniel Davis, Ryan Pennington, Jennifer Callahan, Chris Selda, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Wilson Lemieux, and Jason Burr. They support the show through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. And you can too. This has been episode 121. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.